Morning. So happy to be back with you this morning preaching. I'm happy uh, to be back with you in general. Um, after a two-year hiatus, uh, a little over two-year hiatus, the flu has come back. So uh, everybody uh, know a lot of people were sick. I believe that's what my family was sick with uh, last week. So uh, it was a blessing that Blake was already preaching. Um, I probably could have pushed through it, but I would have taken some of you down with me. So uh, it was good to not have to be here when I was uh, not well. Today we're going to be in our second uh, sermon in our Advent series, Christ the True and Better. And we're going to look at Christ uh, the Better Isaac. During our Advent season, each week we light candles uh, with each a uh, candle representing something special around the first advent, the first coming of Jesus. The circle in our display represents God's never-ending love that he showed to us by sending Jesus to earth. The four candles represent the four Sundays before Christmas Day, with each one representing hope, peace, joy, and love. The three purple candles represent the royalty of Jesus as the Son of God and King of our lives. The one pink candle represents the joy of having Jesus in our lives. The light of the candle reminds us that Jesus called himself the light of the world. The white center candle is the Christ candle. It represents the purity of Jesus and we will light that on we get to light that on Christmas day this year. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. Today we light the second candle in our Advent wreath, the candle of peace. God sent us his son, his only son, Jesus to be our Prince of Peace. We cannot have the peace that transcends all understanding apart from Jesus. For he said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. So today I'm going to light the purple candle of hope that we lit last week and the purple candle of peace. Would you pray with me as we pray over this Advent service? Lord Jesus Christ, Prince of Peace, may your shalom reign in our hearts and in our lives. Create in us clean hearts and renew a right spirit within us that we might know you and make you known in the world. Help us to be heralds of your glory and proclaimers of your peace. Amen. Today we are going to start our second Advent sermon from Genesis 22, and we're going to look at Christ, the true and better Isaac. Um, I really enjoyed Blake's sermon last week, and I hope you did too. I feel like his ears must be bigger than mine because this thing's not fitting right. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I guess I'll just sit here and mess with it the entire sermon. Uh, he did a really I didn't just uh, bring up Blake so I could do that. I had already. He did a really great job last week. I thought he did an excellent job of introducing uh, Christ the true and better. Um, in Blake's intro last week, he gave us a glimpse at the different types of types and figures in the Old Testament. And I can't think of a better time of year to look at the types that we see from the Bible and see how Christ is the better version of each one of those. 
Uh, this discussion is important because it shows how Christ, when we look at types, when we look at figures, when we look at shadows, they show how Christ has appeared throughout time. And folks, I know that I've said this to you before, and I know that you're going to hear it from me again today and maybe a thousand other times, but Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. Uh, not by name Jesus or in the exact form that we see him at the first advent, but he is everywhere. The theme of the entire Bible is Christ and the work that God would do through him. Jesus said of himself in John, if you believed in Moses, then you would have believed in me for he, that is Moses, wrote of me, that is Jesus. Moses wrote of Jesus. All of the work in the Old Testament was the patriarchs and the prophets writing of the work of God through Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection, he met with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they were talking with each other all of the things that had happened surrounding Jesus' death. When Jesus questioned them, they asked if he was a visitor who did not know what was going on because they didn't recognize Jesus or, or even think of the possibility uh, that it could be Jesus because they had just seen Jesus die. In Luke 24, 27, Jesus does this with them. They recognize Jesus, and this is the way he chooses to interact with them after that. He, it says, and beginning, the Bible says, and beginning with Moses... And all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. So when Jesus wanted, when Jesus saw his followers on the road to Emmaus, walking on the road to Emmaus, and he wanted to give them clarity as to what was going on because they were confused and, and heartbroken and all of these things surrounding his death, <coughs> he wanted to give them clarity. He chose to go back to the scriptures. And he started with Moses, and he went through the prophets, he went to David, he went through the entire book of the law, the Old Testament, and he, he pointed his followers back to how the Old Testament pointed to him. He explained the death and burial and resurrection, he explained all that would have happened by pointing them back to the Old Testament. He began with Moses, he likely reminded them even today, of the narrative of Isaac, I imagine it would have been a good one to point to when you're trying to point to uh, what must happen in order for the sins of the world to be forgiven. Christ being the true and better is um, what we call type. Uh, and I've mentioned type already today, and I think Blake mentioned type, and you may know what type is. Uh, but when we say Adam is a type of Christ or Isaac is a type, we are saying that they behaved in a way that corresponds to Jesus' character or actions. That's what a type is, just in case you didn't know. That Adam, that Isaac, that David, <coughs> that Moses, all of these are types, which means they behaved in a way that paralleled Jesus' character or actions. Um, now, there aren't uh, people are not the only types in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has uh, other things that are that are types: the sacrificial system, uh, the tabernacle, the Passover. These are all types of Christ. 
Adam is a type of Christ. Isaac, David, and Moses, they're all types of Christ. Now, there are other ways that Christ appears in the Old Testament uh, that we won't discuss in this series, but there's important. Christ appears through the prophecies. <coughs> there were over 300 prophecies fulfilled by Christ. Christ also, uh, which, is, which is impossible, had God not intervened, by the way. It's impossible that one man would say thing, something hundreds, if not a thousand years before it happened, and then he would, Christ would fulfill them perfectly. It is impossible if God had not intervened, if Christ had not been God. He also appeared through Christophanies, so types, through prophecies, and through Christophanies. Uh, these are pre-incarnate appearings of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, when you see the term, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, this is a Christophany. This is Christ appearing to Old Testament people um, in order to give a message or in order to, to do something important. Uh, we see one in Genesis 18 where the Lord appears to Abraham in human form. He uh, appeared to tell of the birth of Isaac. He appears to Hagar in Genesis 16 and uh, and even in, it was Genesis 17 with the story of Isaac. Now today we're not going to look at Christophanies. We're not going to look at, um, we're not going to look at types as things. We're not going to look at prophecies necessarily. Today we're going to look at a type of Christ through the Old Testament story of Isaac in Genesis 22. Would you, before we read through the scriptures, would you pray with me? Father God, Lord Help us as people who live in a confused and unclear world to find clarity in your word. <clears throat> Help us like Jesus did to draw back to the Old Testament scriptures that teach of Jesus, that relate the truth of God's plan for mankind uh, to Jesus. Help us not just to focus on the New Testament um, because as, while it's important and is infinitely important, it is not as important as, uh, is not more important than all of the scriptures together. Lord, help us to trust your word. Help us to love your word. Your word is truth. And it gives us a glimpse at your plan for mankind. Uh, we love you. We praise you. Speak through your word today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you would, turn to Genesis 22 if you haven't already. And I'm going to read this narrative of Isaac. Um, Blake actually gave me, he assigned categories, and he gave me uh, one of the more difficult ones because uh, what we know of Isaac is this. We know very little about Isaac. Isaac, uh, we know a little bit of his life. We know that he loved and married Rebecca. We know that he failed a little bit as a parent because uh, he played favorites. He and Rebecca played favorites with Jacob and Esau, which caused dissension, among, uh, to say the least, amongst Jacob and Esau, which caused them to be basically divided their entire lives. Um, but we know he was a man that was submissive to the Lord uh, in the beginning of his life. We know that he was submissive to the Lord uh, at the end of his life. And so Isaac is a good character in the Bible uh, for us to look at, for us to examine, but Isaac, as a type, shows us that Christ is better. So let's read Genesis 22. We'll read 1 through 19. 
After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, so they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld, behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not, have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. The typology between Isaac and Jesus is one of the more, if not the most, clear in the Old Testament. In the past, I looked at this story and thought it was a little cruel, honestly. Uh, Why would God do this to Abraham, especially to Isaac? Um, Why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his own son, to kill his own son? And if you, you can look at this story in one of two ways. And one way would be to look at this story as of the faithfulness of Abraham. And I think that's important because Abraham, if I was preaching on this, that would be one of my main points. But I'm not, so I'm not going to take that today. But Abraham willingly, here I am. He went up the next day. He did all the things that the Lord had said, knowing that he was about to sacrifice his own son knowing that there was going to be a conflicting message because God had said, I will both bless you through this son, and now you're going to have to kill your son, this son. Uh, So that seemingly would have been a conflicting message. So Abraham honored the Lord in that way. But there's a second way 
to look at this story. And I think the second way is the most important because if we look at it as Abraham's faithfulness, we say Abraham's a faithful man. Great. But if we look at it the second way, it is God giving his people an image of what he was willing to do to save them from their sins. It gives us such a more clear and beautiful image of the plan of God. God is not only trying to show the faithfulness of Abraham in the story of Abraham and Isaac. He is trying to show us the faithfulness of, he, of himself to his own character, to his own will. The Lord one day would offer his own son. And instead of making a substitute for his own son, he followed through. He killed his own son. He killed his own son in order that our sins might be atoned. And as I look at this story that way, uh, I don't think of a cruel God who would ask Abraham to kill his own son, but I look at a gracious God who would be willing to give up the ultimate sacrifice of his own son for the forgiveness of our sin. And I hope that's the way you look at it. Um, so while the narrative is a test of the faithfulness of Abraham and his son, uh, the one specific thing you need to see, I think, is the most important. So I think we can see how Christ is the better Isaac. Um, like I said, there's not a lot of content on Isaac's life. So this is the way I, I'm doing it. Hopefully it's helpful to you. I think we can see that Christ is the better Isaac just by looking at the comparisons in this story between Isaac and Jesus. Um, so I'm going to give you a list of <coughs> comparisons in the narrative of uh, the almost sacrifice of Isaac, and I hope they're helpful to you. Uh, the first is this. Isaac and Jesus were begotten sons. Isaac and Jesus were both begotten sons. Uh, the language used for Abraham and Isaac is almost identical to the language used for the father and the son in the New Testament. Three times in Genesis 22, the Lord uses the term, your son, your only son. For Isaac, the word for only here does not mean singular or the only, but instead it means unique or one of a kind. Remember, Abraham also had another son by Hagar named Ishmael. We are told that Ishmael was not the son of the promise, though, and that Isaac was the only begotten. He was the unique. He was the one of a kind. The Hebrew word for only is yahid, which the theological word book of the Old Testament translates as only begotten, only begotten son. Later, we see the same type of wording used about Jesus. The Greek word for only begotten in the New Testament is monogenes. We see this in John. John used this terminology in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Again, this is not saying that Jesus was begotten or born in a way that one might think as they look at that. As a matter of fact, the ESV says that he gave his only son because monogenes means not born from, but unique or one of a kind. Just as Isaac was the unique one of a kind, begotten son of Abraham, the son of the promise, Jesus is the unique, one-of-a-kind, begotten son of 
the father. The early church fathers understood the Greek and came to the same conclusion that we see. And we see this in the Nicene Creed. I believe in one Lord Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. <coughs> so, begotten, unique, special, one of a kind, Son of God. Unique, special, one of a kind, Son of Abraham. As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews used monogenes, unique, one of a kind, to refer to Isaac as Abraham's only begotten son. So Isaac and Jesus were begotten sons of their father, of their fathers. Another uh, way that Isaac is a type of Christ, Isaac and Jesus were named by God. They were named by God. They were not named by their parents. Jesus tells us that the Lord told Sarah what to name her son, and you shall bear a son, <coughs> and you shall call his name Isaac. And then we see this compared to Matthew 1, when the angel told Mary, Mary shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Both Isaac and Jesus were begotten sons and were named directly by God. Isaac and Jesus were both miraculously conceived. Now, we know, of course, of the immaculate conception of Jesus. No human sperm fertilized Mary's egg, but he was born from the seed of the Holy Spirit. Isaac, like Jesus, was a miraculous conception. He was promised to God and given to Abraham and Sarah well after their ability to have children. Isaac's birth was so unbelievable that Abraham and Sarah laughed when the Lord promised Abraham a son from Sarah. Remember, they had, um, they had Ishmael. He had Hagar. But God promised a son from Sarah in her old age. Isaac literally means one who laughs because Abraham and Sarah both laughed at the Lord when he promised Isaac. Now we know uh, of the birth of Jesus. <coughs> Jesus was promised to Mary uh, by an angel. Mary was a virgin. Mary had Jesus still as a virgin. The similarities here are pretty clear. Uh, there's another comparison between Isaac and Jesus. Isaac and Jesus were burnt offerings. The Lord said to Moses, uh, excuse me, the Lord said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The word burnt offering occurs six times between verses 2 and 13. Of Genesis 22. This is God repeating himself for emphasis. Isaac was to be the burnt offering. There was not a way out. That was the plan. As far as Abraham knew, Isaac, the Lord had repeated himself multiple times to Abraham, Isaac was to be the burnt offering. He was making it clear that Abraham's obedience 
would cause him to kill his own son. Now, burnt offerings are not common for us, but they would have been common for the ancient readers. They understood that unless an offering and a sacrifice was made, that sins could not be forgiven. The burnt offerings then were voluntary sacrifices that were meant as acts of worship to show service and devotion to God for the atonement of sins. <clears throat> it was a necessary act for Abraham to make a burnt offering. Um, it wasn't necessary to kill your own son. That's not a, that wasn't a, a thing that the Lord, uh, to my knowledge, ever called anyone else to do. But the Lord, in this instance, required Isaac. Uh, but we do find that, at the end of our story, that the Lord made a substitute. The burnt offerings were called a sweet aroma to the Lord. Paul in Ephesians gives us the image of burnt offerings and applies to Jesus. He says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Both uh, Isaac and Jesus, as seen by the New Testament authors, as seen by the early church and all throughout history, were burnt offerings unto the Lord. Another comparison between Isaac and Jesus, Isaac and Jesus were offered up. They were not only burnt offerings, they were offered up. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there as a burnt offering. The Hebrew word for offer up is Allah, which means to ascend, to go up, to lift up. Abraham is called to lift up Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord. Jesus was also lifted up. John said that Jesus would be lifted up to draw all men to himself. John 12 tells us that John was referring to the way that Jesus would die. He would be lifted up on a cross. Isaac and Jesus, another comparison. Isaac and Jesus were accompanied by two men. Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled a donkey and took two of his young men with him. We know, of course, Jesus was accompanied by two men, one on each side of him, one each on his own cross. Isaac and Jesus carried the wood for their sacrifice. Verse 6 of Genesis 22, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son. Isaac carried the wood of his own sacrifice, like Jesus carried his own cross to his own sacrifice. <coughs> Another comparison, Isaac and Jesus were willing to experience their father's fire. Look at verse 9 of 22, Genesis 22. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I know that your uh, inclination is to look at this story and think that Jesus is laying a child on the altar. Isaac was not a child. Isaac was an adult at the time of this story. So Isaac could have easily said, Dad, you have gone nuts. You've gone crazy. He, pro he likely had enough strength to, if not overpower his dad, he had enough strength to not be bound to an altar to be killed and burn up. But that's not what the story tells us. The story tells us that Isaac is bound, seemingly willingly. Both Abraham and Isaac were willing to do what the Lord had instructed them. 
We don't hear anything of a fight between Abraham and Isaac. We don't hear anything of a tussle. We just see Isaac laid on the wood, bound down, and ready for sacrifice. Like Abraham and Isaac, the father willingly sent his son, and Jesus knowingly and willingly took the sacrifice on the cross. The Bible said he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have struck his captors dead on the spot. He could have said, no, this is not happening. He certainly had the strength. He certainly had the power to pull himself away from this sacrifice. But he willingly took the fire that the Father had for him to be the atonement for our sins so that the world through him might be saved, that the world through his sacrifice might be saved. There was no other way. There was not a ram caught in the thicket, and Jesus understood that. Jesus understood that he was the substitute. He was the atonement. He was the sacrifice where God, when it was lifted up to heaven, said, I'm pleased in my son and what he's done. I'm pleased in this sacrifice. Where atonement was made, where his blood covered our sin, his blood covered our wrath. There was no other way. Abraham and Isaac, Abraham bound Isaac to the altar thinking that there was no other way and God made a way. Jesus and God knew that there was no other way and yet Jesus still bound himself to the cross as a sacrifice for many. Isaac and Jesus were sacrificial lambs. Isaac asked Abraham where the sacrifice was. He said, Dad, I know I see the wood, I see the knife, I see the ropes. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord would provide. But we know that Isaac was literally intended to be the sacrifice. Jesus was a willing and perfect sacrifice. John said, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. How would Jesus take away the sin of the world as a Lamb of God? But to be bound to a cross, to be slain for his blood to be poured out. <clears throat> Another one, Isaac and Jesus were both expected to be resurrected. Abraham was going to kill his son, make no mistake about it. The story of Abraham and Isaac doesn't get a little bit better when we think, well, Abraham knew God would save Isaac. No, Abraham was going to kill his son. He knew he had to kill his son. He was going to kill his son. The obedience to the Lord led him to that point. He never thought, well, the Lord was going to make a substitute for Isaac. He didn't say, the Lord, he didn't say to Isaac, the Lord's going to make a substitute. He said, the Lord has an offering. Abraham was going to kill a son, but instead of Abraham thinking that the Lord was going to provide a substitute, Abraham thought, the Lord is going to raise my son. Abraham believed that the Lord would resurrect his son, and here's how I know that. Abraham had been given a command from God. He knew that he must follow that command, and that was to kill his son as a sacrifice, But Abraham also knew that the Lord said that the promise was to be fulfilled through Isaac. And so he knew that there was a a conflicting point there. He knew that he had to kill his son, but he knew that the promise was to be fulfilled through this son that he was supposed to kill. So he knew that the Lord 
was going to raise Isaac from the dead so that he could keep his promise. That if the Lord didn't make another way, that he was going to raise Isaac from the dead, that he could keep his promise. (coughs) Similarly, the resurrection of Jesus is so invaluable because God promised a way through Jesus. We have this same This same monumental moment in history, God promised a way through Jesus. Jesus is the way. John said, behold the Lamb of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, but also Jesus must die. The resurrection is invaluable because the way is through Jesus, and a dead Jesus is of no value. But God had a plan. Unlike Isaac, where there was a ram caught in the thicket, and Isaac was unbound, the ram was bound, and the ram was slain, and the ram was burnt up. Unlike Isaac, Jesus was never unbound. Jesus was slain. And unlike what could have happened to Isaac, did happen to Jesus. On the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. A dead Jesus is of no service to you or to I. A dead Jesus does not forgive our sins, cannot forgive our sins. A dead Jesus does not make a way to God, does not make a way to heaven. But a Jesus who is dead and has come back to life does all of those things. The birth of Jesus without the resurrection of Jesus is meaningless. The death of Jesus without the resurrection of Jesus is meaningless. Has, had Jesus not risen, then he would be just like any other person that had proclaimed to be God throughout history. But Jesus is alive. No substitute. No ram caught in the thicket. Jesus died for our sins. He died to take on our wrath. He died for the glory of the Father. And now he is alive and he lives forevermore. I want to conclude today with three thoughts on how Jesus is the better Isaac. The first is this. Jesus, unlike Isaac, knew all along that he was the sacrifice. I didn't put these up here. They're just kind of thoughts. If you want to write them down, you can. Jesus, unlike Isaac, knew all along that he was a sacrifice. Isaac was confused. They are up there. JK then. Isaac was confused. Sam is, Sam is uh, you over-delivered there. Good job, buddy. Isaac was confused. Isaac was like, Where, where's the sacrifice, Dad? Because I see me, and I see you, and I know you're not about to kill yourself. And I certainly hope you're not going to kill me. Where is the sacrifice? But Jesus knew from the beginning. As a matter of fact, we find out in Peter, we found out in Ephesians, we find out through Romans that it was the plan of God before the beginning of time to slay his own son. But not only that, it was the plan of God for God's son to come into the world, to live a perfect life. To offer and preach the gospel, the good news that God has made a way back to the Father. God has made a way back to himself through the Son. Jesus knew from the beginning. Isaac did not. 
<coughs> Jesus was the angel of the Lord that promised the birth of Isaac. He was with God as Abraham prepared to plunge his knife into his son. Jesus knew that at the right time, he would also be consumed for the sin of mankind. Jesus, unlike Isaac, knew all along that Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus, unlike Isaac, was perfect and was the only possible sufficient sacrifice. Jesus, unlike Isaac, was perfect and was the only possible sufficient sacrifice. Isaac's sacrifices would have, Isaac, if Abraham had gone through with the sacrifice of Isaac, it would have been good for Abraham uh, in one sense, and that was that he obeyed the Lord because that's what God had said for him to do. But it would have done nothing for the rest of mankind. See, man must die for man. In order for man's sin to be paid, man must die for man. But Isaac's life would not have been an acceptable sacrifice. Isaac was not, uh, Isaac was not a sufficient man to die. The story of Isaac tells us that same thing about ourselves. Man must die for man in order for man's sin to be paid. But we cannot die to pay for our own sin. You cannot be sinful, you cannot have sin and die and that be a sufficient sacrifice for your own sin. Isaac could not have died and paid for the sins of Abraham. Isaac could not have paid for the sins of Sarah. Isaac could not have paid for the sins of Isaac. A perfect man must die in order to pay for the sins of mankind. Man must pay for man's sin. So the way God did this was he condescended to this earth as Christ Jesus, as both God and both man. The Bible calls it the hypostatic union, or a theological term for this is the hypostatic union. It is God being both 100% or is Jesus being both 100% God and 100% man? And the perfect God-man died for us as the sufficient, the willing, <coughs> the perfect sacrifice. He gave his life once and for all through his death and through his resurrection. The plan of God to reunite mankind to himself was accomplished. There's a third way Jesus is better than Isaac. Jesus, unlike Isaac, is God and atoned for our sin and was a pleasing sacrifice by his death and resurrection. Jesus, unlike Isaac, is God and atoned for our sins and was a pleasing sacrifice by his death and resurrection. This was God's plan from the beginning of time to slay his son. God killed God. And I know that it's hard for us to hear. I know that if you have sort of a scientific or a psychoanalytical mind, you think, well, God can't kill God. And, and God can't kill his own son. It was the plan of God from the beginning of time to slay Jesus for his own glory in order that the sins of many may be forgiven. It was God's plan. 
It was God's plan. It was not God's plan for Isaac to forgive the sins of mankind. It was not God's plan for any other sacrifice. It was not, God plan, it was not God's plan for the millions of other animal sacrifices that have been performed throughout history to save mankind for their sin. It was God's plan to use those sacrifices, those types, those figures, those images to point us to Jesus as the only sufficient sacrifice. Isaac then shows us what Christ would be like, but only just a small image, just a picture. Isaac, like all other types, pictures and shadows and illustrations, points us to Jesus, the true and better. We would do well to see Jesus all throughout Scripture. It was God's plan all along to send Jesus. It was God's plan all along <coughs> to point us to Jesus through the Old Testament Scriptures. And we know He has come. He is our peace. And He didn't come and bring peace by spreading a message of love and fluffy unicorn cloud playland. He came to bring peace by spreading the message of a gruesome death on a cross. A gruesome death by crucifixion. Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. When we look at the Old Testament in the way that God intended, we see the scriptures as the way, as fruitful and as full of light. We, the scriptures then become alive to us. I want to leave you with this reading from John 1 and how John saw the, saw the advent of Jesus' life. When John was writing the Gospel of John, he saw the birth of Jesus in this way, and I think it's important. In the beginning was the Word. The beginning was before creation, before time, not created, God of gods. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are one. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. This is Christ. Often we tend to think of the Father being the one at creation. Christ Jesus was at creation. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through him. If they were created, they were created because Jesus created it. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was, has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light <clears throat> that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Have you ever thought of how John uh, bore witness of Jesus? Did you think it was just like a bunch of prophetic words that just were new and just came to his mind? Or do you think he went through the Old Testament like Jesus did with his disciples on the road to Emmaus? He went through the Old Testament and he said, here is one coming. You don't think he went to Isaiah because we hear him say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You don't think he went to Isaiah and talked, about, and talked with his, John's disciples about the Lamb who would be slain? John used the message of Jesus through the Old Testament, the true and better. The true and better Jesus. 
the true and better than David, the true and better than Moses, the true and better than Abraham, the true and better than Isaac. Verse 9 of of John 1 says, The true light which gives light to everyone has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, (coughs) and we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John in John 1.14 goes back to one of those types. He says, the Word became flesh and dwelt. You know what he's saying? Tabernacled amongst us. The tabernacle is an image of Christ. And now the Word has become flesh and he has tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory as the only son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John understood that all of the message of the Old Testament was leading up to God with us. God being made known. Emmanuel has come to the earth, friends. No more types, no more figures. the, The story of Isaac is great. But it's only lead up to what Jesus has done. Would you pray with me today? (coughs) Father God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your son. The perfect sacrifice for our sin, for your glory. We pray as we go throughout this Christmas season that you would still our heart. That you would give us peace of mind and heart. To be able to look at the scriptures, to be able to look at what you have done and praise your name through it. Lord, I pray that you take the joy out of Christmas for us unless our Christmases are surrounded by the joy in Christ. I pray that we have no joy, we have no love of Christmas unless our Christmases are surrounded by the advent And the work of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. But Lord, through you, as we trust in you, I pray that we are overcome with joy of the season. That the presence remind us of the perfect gift of our Savior. That family reminds us of the family of God that will commune together forever in heaven. That the peace and the joy and the memories that we have point us all to our Savior, Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask that you would give us a peace that passes all understanding. The peace of God that only comes through Christ. The peace that has been left with us through the Holy Spirit.
We love you and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.